In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Eternal Father, you called St. Philip the Evangelist to open his mouth and begin with Scripture, tell the good news of Jesus Christ. By virtue of our baptism, we too are called to work for the salvation of souls. Instill in our hearts the zeal of St. Philip, that we may convert hearts and minds to your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome to the St. Philip Institute podcast, where we talk about how to teach the Catholic faith. We will show you how to teach the people you encounter, family, friends, other Christians, people of other religions, and even atheists. Your hosts today are myself, Stacey Tresenkos, Executive Director of the St. Philip Institute of Catechesis and Evangelization, and His Excellency, the Most Reverend Joseph Edward Strickland, founder of the St. Philip Institute. In today's episode, we are discussing the reasons why the church guards the deposit of faith. This is a phrase we Catholics hear often, and it's something that Bishop Strickland advocates because he, as bishop, took an oath to guard the deposit of faith. But I think a lot of people wonder, what does that mean, the deposit of faith? What is it that we guard, and why should we guard it? How does that guide our daily lives? This is a big story of salvation history, of God's communication with us, of how to be fully human, of how to live every precious second of your life the right way. The the positive faith is about truth. So we're going to discuss what that term means, and then we're going to discuss why it's important to guard the positive faith. And then we'll also talk about how the church has done this down through time and what it means to us in our moment in history today. So, Bishop Strickland, this is something that that you say often, and it gets a lot of people's attention because um, I guess people think it's a bold thing to say, but it's just a very natural thing for you to say. Um, But I want to make sure that everybody listening understands what it is. I think sometimes Catholics like hearing things like guard the deposit of faith, but we're not actually sure what that means. What, What does that mean, guarding the deposit of faith? Well, um... Dr. Stacy, I think the way I would answer that is it's more who is the deposit of faith. Jesus Christ, God's divine Son, incarnate among us, truly embodies all truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Scripture tells us constantly of who he is. He was there in the beginning. So, Truly, Jesus Christ is the person of the deposit of faith. And so guarding the deposit of faith, and I really like taking that approach and and reminding us, it's about a person. It is about the person, God's own son, because it, it gets you a little more revved up to guard a person. And guarding the deposit of faith, sounds sort of academic and a little Mm -hmm. bit theological and maybe dry. Guarding the person of Jesus Christ, it makes you, makes me think of really stepping up, of of protecting someone, of guarding the most precious person 
that this world has ever seen walk this earth and has walked among us, God's own son. He's still with us. He, he still is in this earth in a physical way in the real presence of the Blessed Sacrament. So I think as we begin to talk about the deposit of faith, we need to speak of it in terms of the person. Yeah. It's who we guard. It's Jesus Christ. Yeah, and I think it, and when you put it like that, it makes it alive. It's like all of us, I don't know, when you were saying that, I was thinking of um, the little baby Jesus in the manger, you mm. know, of my motherly instincts kick in, guarding that person of Jesus Christ. And, um, and I remember, like, getting my head around what that means to be Catholic. You have to believe. You have to believe what this person told us. And so the deposit of faith is him speaking to us, and we have to decide as Catholics. And I remember thinking about it to myself, like as a mother trying to navigate through this, I have to decide to believe everything he says. I can't pick and choose. I can't reject some of it or sort through it like it's a salad bar. I can't talk out of both sides of my mouth. I have to believe everything he said. And I think that was when I really started to appreciate what the Catholic Church does and what bishops do, guarding that deposit so that here in this day and age when I'm living my life, I know that truth is being guarded. And if I ever wonder what this little baby Jesus Christ told us, I can turn to the church and get those answers. Absolutely. And so after you personalize the deposit of faith, then you begin to say that every word that God has spoken is part of that deposit of faith. Certainly, St. John's Gospel does a beautiful job of reminding us that Jesus, the second person of the divine trinity, the Son of God, didn't just start speaking as probably a two- or three-year-old. He started using words as a human being. He was speaking the word of creation at the very beginning. And so the deposit of faith begins with that first revelation that we find in the book of Genesis. So it goes from Genesis to Revelation as far as the word of God. And then the church in her tradition minds that in a sense because we know that the canon of Scripture is a closed canon we're not someday going to add a fifth gospel. We're not going to take out a gospel. The, God has revealed what we need to know for salvation. That's an ancient teaching of the church. So the deposit of faith is a deposit, and that's a good word because it, it really exists in a finite way. It is truth that has been revealed to us. Not all truth. There are many mysteries in the universe that God didn't reveal because we don't need to know it. Maybe in our childlike humanity, we may want to know. And as a scientist yourself, there's a beauty in that, the scientist wanting to get the answers. But what is striking for people of faith is that that deposit of faith gives us basic answers for living the human journey to our salvation in Christ, but it doesn't give us all the answers because all of them aren't necessary. We presume, as much as we understand what the beatific vision means, mm -hmm. that we'll have 
the download of everything. But right now, the deposit of faith is about what we need for salvation. Yeah, and it it really keeps you focused because there, you know, even when you were raising children, sometimes as parents, I I remember hearing the word belief proposed that way, that it's like a childlike faith. We believe everything Christ tells us like a little two-year-old might believe everything his mom tells him. But it's a mature faith in the sense that Christ is so far superior to the human being than a parent is to a child that it, it's logical to grant assent to the truths of faith. But thinking about how to find the truth, like when we're living our lives and going through, there's a lot of reasoning that we have to do. And it is like science in the sense that, you know, when a scientist figures out theories and figures out how things work, you take that deposit of the natural world. You take what we observe in the natural world, and then you reason forth. But you have to start with what you observed. You have to accept it. And it, it was very, it's very much the same way with theology and the deposit of faith and learning all these church teachings as Catholics. We take what God said and reason forth from there. But it's happening now in our lifetimes. Like we can turn to the church to figure out, like when these hard questions come up for families with contraception and educating our children and even making financial decisions. That's what, you know, I think people sometimes don't realize that deposit of faith, Jesus Christ, it's to help us make every decision in our lives the right way to help get us closer to heaven. I mean, the point of every day is to get closer to heaven. Um, And for the laity, it's such a huge thing that we have this in the church that we can turn to when we need guidance on making decisions. I think sometimes that disconnect, what does the catechism call it? The, um, The connection between our spiritual life and the dogmas, this remarkable harmony between the bishops and the faithful. Um, I think that's one thing everybody appreciates so much about you is that there is this harmony between the bishop and the faithful. You're guarding that deposit of faith for us to be able to live our lives centered on Jesus Christ. Yeah, and I, I, I really, as you're talking, I focus on the, the word guarding. Um, again, if we personalize the deposit of faith as guarding Jesus Christ, then it it really enriches my role, and I promised when I was ordained a bishop, as every bishop does, to guard the deposit of faith entire and incorrupt. And guarding brings a, a, an idea of that there can be threats to the deposit of faith. And there have been many philosophies, you know, pre-Christian and post-Christian of human philosophies that eat away at the truth. Um, You know, like Pilate's famous question, what is the truth? And ironically, he's talking to the truth. (laughs) He's talking to Jesus Christ when he asks that question. And so guarding is a very specific role that that every um, bishop has. It's also interesting that the similar terminology is used in the installation of a pastor to a church, that he's to guard the deposit of faith as well. And so I think that tells us, and we certainly see it in human history, mm-hmm. there are many threats to that because the truth that Christ has revealed, whether it's his cross or the challenges of, of hearts that need to be renewed, 
the truth of Jesus Christ is not easy. And as a mother, you know that it's our human nature a lot of times. We want the easier route. Mom, do I have to? Is I'm sure something you've heard frequently. Mm-hmm. And in a sense, the the cry of God's people is, Daddy, do we have to? Mm-hmm. Speaking to God the Father. Um, and I think because of that tendency, the guarding aspect, guarding the deposit of faith means staying clear and being able to say, no, that isn't mm-hmm. where the faith leads us. You know, the whole concept of development of doctrine is, is kind of woven into the deposit of faith, but there can be distortions of that. Development doesn't mean changing the core truth. And it, uh, I, it comes to mind for me that maybe as a scientist you can relate to that because they're, they're basic scientific principles that there aren't, you aren't going to change right. out and say, well, well, we'll change it this way. It's not reality. It's not that chemical is always going to do that. That's mm-hmm. how it works. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have to have that baseline, in a sense, that you're working from. And guarding the deposit of faith is, in theological terms and faith terms, kind of guarding that baseline of, of how the equation of human life and the equation of creation, how it really happens. Yeah. That, I mean, that was—it's hard for me not to think of Catholicism without referring back to my own conversion because before— knowing that stuff, you have these longings about what is the meaning of your life, and you try to explain it in terms of atoms and molecules or science or just the deposit of the natural world, what you're reasoning from. And if you start by the world and reason out, everybody, that's that's why it's so important to understand what these terms mean when you're talking and evangelizing, talking to atheists or people who don't understand this even. You don't get very far reasoning in that direction. I remember hearing for the first time, you know, the deposit of faith, you have to decide to believe it. You have to just accept it. And I was like, well, how am I supposed to defend that to my family and friends or to other scientists when they say, how can you believe in God? How can you be Catholic? You have, I had to be okay with saying, I granted assent to the truths of faith. Why? Because Christ told us that. It's, it's about Christ. I believe in Christ. I believe everything he says. And the church takes, and, and I don't think a lot of people realize how careful the language is, the church only says what needs to be said to represent that those truths that Christ told us. It's very carefully articulated down through time. And then I said, what does that mean when doctrine develops? I don't understand then. Are you saying it changes? It's kind of like, um, I, I thought I like the example when a mother's pregnant, the baby is either a boy or a girl. And before everybody knows what it is, it's still either a boy or a girl. It just hasn't been revealed yet. People have these big reveal parties, and they let people know. It doesn't change from one second to the next that the baby's either a boy or a girl. It's just that it's revealed. And when Christ revealed to us these truths, these objective truths, then we had more information to, to figure out in our human societies how to, le- how to live our lives. And I thought that was so beautiful. Like, it's not just, it allows for understanding a beauty in the scientific world and the cosmos and the universe and the atomic realm. 
But then it really connects you, the person, not just to your atoms and molecules, but to your soul, to your your creator on one end, to your redeemer on the other end. It puts your whole life ordered in this way where you know where you came from and you know where you're going. And it gives so much purpose to every single day. You get out of bed going, what does God need me to do today? Because you understand the point of even being alive and drawing breath. And I thought that was so beautiful. It helped me. I mean, then in the church, when I learned about virtue, faith, hope, and love, prudence, justice, fortitude, temperance, it helped me to really understand why we're supposed to practice those things. And then I could turn all of that around and be a wife to my husband, be a mother to my children, be a daughter to my parents. Um, and it it was just a very powerful thing. And I, that it seems like today, I know there's been some discussion about this, that people have lost this appreciation for the spiritual dimension of who we are. That's what, that's, that's one of the things that Jesus Christ, the deposit of faith, brings back to our lives. It helps us remember that we're more than just the bodies, the atoms and molecules. We're here on earth to be united with our maker. And it just changes everything. It's like every day is Christmas and Easter all in one. <laughs> <laughs> the um, one, one aspect of the deposit of faith that we are created in the image of God. I mean, you can develop that and run with that. I mean, you can write probably volumes of books, ultimately, of what does that really mean? Um, But that is one truth that is revealed to humanity, that we are created in God's image. It comes out of God's Word and is further understood in the life of the church. And Putting that into the the context of a person that may be listening to this podcast and is trying to live out God's call in their life, it's how do I Mm -hmm. image God? And so much of what the world, and I think it's a good sort of little glimpse of what you get into when you're guarding the deposit because I think there are voices that may not explicitly say it, may not use that language, but in the world today that are are really more making God in our image rather than remembering that we're made in God's image. And so guarding the deposit of faith is saying, whoa, let's, (laughs) let's return to what God has revealed to us in order to understand ourselves. So I think that's just one little example of how it works, what it, what it means, what are these truths, like the Ten Commandments or yeah. some of the classic teachings, the, the Beatitudes, you know, the basic elements. And I think that as we talk about the deposit of faith and putting it in the context of who it is, Jesus Christ, a flesh and blood human being, divine and human, fully God, fully man, how does that work? We don't know. There, there are zillions of unanswered questions of how. How can he be a one-year-old doing what one-year-olds do, that you know much better than I, and still be God's eternal divine son? Um, so once you put it into the context, the deposit of faith is Jesus Christ, and certainly 
prior to his incarnation and after his incarnation, after he's ascended to the Father, now seated on the throne and present physically in tabernacles around the world in consecrated bread, you begin to wrap your brain around all of that. He is the deposit of faith. And I think it becomes very evident that it it needs a lot of guarding because there are a lot of ways to go down blind alleys and to take maybe some aspect of the truth, but leaving out the balancing factors that, I mean, it's, it's overwhelming, but that is the call of, of being those who are created in the image of God. We're always approaching the divine. We're approaching that fullness that will never be here on this earth, but that's what we're destined for, to, to know God and to be fully incorporated into God's life. I mean, that's what salvation is about. It's about, yeah. And it, it's also <clears throat> one of those things, I remember this struck me too, we wouldn't have figured out these things on our own. Like the incarnation, even that the world had a beginning in time, science can't prove that. The incarnation, the Holy Trinity, we human reason alone never would have arrived there like we wouldn't have sat around long enough and talked about it and figured this out oh this is the truth we we had to be told that we had to be given that and it's not just something that we're being given to to say oh i have to believe this and learn how to say it so i can be catholic it's like like um like the holy trinity it helped me understand that we are made for relationships because if you just think the person is, if you think your babies are just atoms and molecules, highly complex composite systems, you don't understand why you would give your life for them, you know, because you wouldn't give your life for a loaf of bread over there, you know. It changes when you understand that God told us about the Holy Trinity because it helps us understand who we are, that we are made to be in communion with our Creator and our Redeemer but we're made to be in communion with each other, only we're not going to do it as perfectly as we're not going to do it perfectly like the Holy Trinity does. I remember seeing my husband, Jose, holding our um, youngest, our little son, in his arms the first time. And I had just been studying this part about the Holy Trinity that said the father gives all of himself to the son except to be the son. And it clicked. I'm like, that's that's what he's doing right now. He's looking at that bait, that newborn child in his arms and he would give him his whole self to that child, except to be that child, because he doesn't want to be the baby. He doesn't want to take on that identity, but he would give everything he's got to the baby. And as suddenly as I realized that love, that yearning for communion, to know and be known, to love and be loved, it was also heartbreaking because I knew because of original sin, we're human, and that is what original sin broke. It broke that perfect communion between us and our Creator and therefore between us and everybody else. And so as beautiful as that moment was, I also was reminded that we're human and that as this child grows up, there's going to be times of discord. There's going to be pain and suffering, lots of suffering when you're a parent. You know, when you love anybody, there's suffering. And I realized that, and, you know, I was just kind of flipping around in the hospital bed looking at this and thinking about it, like how beautiful it is, oh, but it's broken. But then just as I thought that, I thought, but it's going to be okay because we're going to raise this child in the faith. We're going to love this child. We're going to seek God. We're going to center our whole life on Christ. And whatever pain and suffering comes, we're going to figure it out. 
And that was so wonderful to, to see that, to just think through that and just to bring that to everything in our lives with our families. Um, it's going to be okay if we keep returning to Jesus Christ, to the deposit of faith. Yeah, and, and as you're talking, I think it's it really is beautiful that God knows how he made us, and his revelation is through a person, through a human being who also happens to be the divine son of God, but a fully human being. And so what what occurs to me is that through the day-to-day life of a man born in near Jerusalem in Bethlehem and living for approximately 33 years, as Scripture indicates and tradition uh, uh, accepts that and agrees with that you know there are different questions about when he was actually born and what date it was interestingly we we figure the dates from his birth whenever that was but the what is occurring to me um is that as human beings in a real sense we're never exactly the same one day after another both of us are a day older than we were yesterday and certainly we don't see a lot of significance from day to day, but when you see a baby, you can almost, I'm, of course, I've never been a, a biological father, but I've always loved kids and I've been around a lot of children ever, ever since I was a kid. And what occurs to me is you can almost look at a newborn mm-hmm. and almost see them grow. I mean, they change so quickly from day to day. One day they're crawling, the next day they're walking. One day they don't say anything, and the next day they're a couple of words. A few days after that, there are lots of words. (laughs) Um, And what occurs to me as so beautiful about the deposit of faith that we've received, it comes to us, it's revealed to us through a real human being who lived for 33 years and every day he was a little different as we are his body was changing was aging he went from being an infant to a toddler to a young boy to a a teenager to a fully grown man and lived as a fully grown man for approximately 13 12 13 years um but God is revealing everything we need to know about salvation through one of us who is also his own son. I mean, I think it's just beautiful to realize that because I I can imagine a lot of people would hear the phrase, the deposit of faith, and think of it as something very sterile, Mm -hmm. something that they can sort of, well, I'll take that and I'll take not take this. But when you put it in the context of a person, your husband. You love the whole person. Yep. You don't maybe like every aspect, as I'm sure he doesn't like every aspect of you. <laughs> of course, the Son of God was the perfect person, yeah. sinless. But there were people who rejected even the sinless one among them because he threatened them or was going against their ideas or threatening their position in life. So even the Son of God in his humanity was rejected. Yeah. Um, and I think that that 
is a reminder that when we go back to the idea of what the deposit of faith actually is, it's a wholeness, it's a full body of truth, to use that word, sort of working in both the body of Christ is a physical body. You don't just say, well, I'm going to go with the hands and the arms, right. but yeah. I'm going to leave out the, you know, the legs. You've got the whole body, that whole dynamic. Um, and also a, a beautiful part of that for me is how we approach the deposit of faith. It's a living, organic, um, the, the harmony mm-hmm. that, the, that the catechism speaks of that should be there between the bishop and the flock is your body needs to be in harmony. Yeah. A living organism, I mean, as you can tell me a lot better than I know scientifically, if it's not in harmony, if all systems aren't working together, mm-hmm. it's even, you know, the scriptures say, you know, that every part of the body of Christ needs to work in harmony. And when it's not working together, yes. when we're leaving out some of that deposit of faith, then things begin to break down for mm-hmm. the person, for the person individually, and for the, the collective person of humanity. When we're leaving out vital parts of what it means to be human, the human family begins to break down. Yeah. And I, I, I so hope that <clears throat> people listen to what you're saying and think about that because when we, when we go out as Catholics and we say things, you know, we are thinking about all this, but then when you get in the, at the dinner table with friends or family who aren't Catholic and you say, oh, we don't, we don't accept contraception, then it's like the record needle going across the record. You know, <laughs> what did you say? But the reason that we're saying that as Catholics is because we do accept that whole deposit. And, and sometimes maybe if you don't understand why the church doesn't, or why the church teaches this or says not to do this, there's a reason for it. And if you reason through it, you know, anyone out there wondering why the church teaches this, why should I accept it? You first have to accept, you have, you have to tell yourself, I'm going to accept it because of what Bishop Strickland said. It's the whole deposit of faith. I can't pick the hands and reject the feet. I can't take the nose and leave off the ears. You have to take the whole thing. But if you don't understand why, the church teaching is there derived from this deposit of faith because all of our doctrines come from that deposit of faith. If you don't understand why, the first thing you need to do is say, I accept it. There were times when I said, I don't understand why I have to go to Mass as an obligation. You know, I grew up in a Protestant area and you didn't have to go if you didn't want to. But I said, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to take it on in the laboratory of my life. And I understand, just like when I was learning chemistry, there were things I didn't understand, but I learned to understand them because I tried it. I didn't just sit back and say, I'm not doing this until I understand it. I put my hands in, I, I got to work, I tried it on, I lived that way, and then the understanding came later. And I have to say, just like with something like going to Mass, what I started to understand over the years of going as an obligation to Mass, getting to go to Mass, getting to be close to Jesus Christ in the real presence— the more I did that, the more I understood that life is about conforming our hearts and minds to the will of God. It's about this wonderful, beautiful, objective truth of being connected with our Creator and our Redeemer. And, and it taught me to stop thinking about everything in my life as all about me 
and what I liked. And it, it taught me not to be afraid of suffering. And that's when, when I hear people reject certain parts of, the, of Catholic teaching and they try to argue against this or that and they try to change things, sometimes I just want to scream, like, you're missing the point. Like, it's about your own happiness. It's about you being happy. And, and if you do accept the entire deposit of faith and try to understand it and try, because it's the truth and you try to live your life according to the truth, you will discover this deep inner peace and joy that Catholics have. That was one of the strongest draws for me to the church. I saw that in people who were Catholic, and I'm like, I want what they have. And I realize what they have is Jesus Christ. And, you know, I, you know, anybody out there listening, if you feel like sometimes you don't want to evangelize or you don't want to teach people about the faith, it's, do it anyway, because what you're helping them do is to lead a happier life. Yeah, the image that comes to mind for me is, well, we're all very familiar with, whether we focus on it or not, um, pixels. You know, every video picture is made up of tiny dots. And I think a lot of times, as we speak of the deposit of faith, it, it requires us to see the whole picture. And, and like I was saying earlier, what God has revealed to us is the basic picture of what human life is, what our destiny is, what we're here for, where we came from. All of those basic questions are answered. So we've got the basic portrait of the human person. And I think a lot of times, and you can look at different moments in history where things get off track, it, it comes down to focusing on being so close to just a few pixels that we say, this doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit. But if you back off, and, and that backing off is faith, is believing that this all does fit together. And sometimes, and I'm sure you've had to deal with it with your, your own children, why, Mommy? Just because. Mm -hmm. Because I said so. Mm -hmm. Because they can't always see that, right. you know, exactly how whatever you've, instruction you've given them for that day that they need to do, how it fits. You are in the, you know, the place of God in that situation. <laughs> you know the big picture. You know the reason that, you know, brushing your teeth after right. eating a, a chocolate bar is the right thing to do. But you know the big picture of, you know, you don't want them to lose their teeth because they have tooth decay. Yeah. Um, I think that that is, is a good way of looking at what we're talking about. The whole deposit of faith, even though probably for everyone, if we're honest with each other, there are certain things it's like, well, okay, but it doesn't really make sense to me, or I don't see why that really even fits into the picture or what that really means. But as we grow through life, I think there are a lot of things I can say for myself, and I think for most of us, if we stay with the faith, there are a lot of things that begin at a different age and a different season in our lives, in our journey, just like we were talking about Christ himself, went through the phases of being a embryo to being a 33-year-old man and everything that happened in those 33 years, we do the same thing. And all of that is 
about being aware of of God's truth guiding us when we don't see all the answers right. and we don't we want them but we it, it's not even realistic that we would ever have all the answers from I, I always love John's gospel the gospel according to John and he says the world couldn't contain Mm-hmm. And he was just talking about what Jesus did as he walked this earth, the God-man present in this world. And that's only a finite. I mean, that blows your mind itself. The infinite became finite. The, the divine becomes a human being walking around and getting thirsty and getting tired and doing all the things human beings do. But St. John says the world couldn't contain the books that it would take to describe the whole truth that Jesus revealed. Um, And that was only in his 33 years of being on this earth. So I think that what what strikes me is to always remember when there's something that kind of goes against my grain or your grain or it's just quizzical and it, you know, we need that ascent of faith to say, it's part of the big picture. I don't really know where those pixels fit in and mm-hmm. why they have to be there, but one day we'll understand. Yeah. Yeah, and I've, I've seen it happen. I mean, that's ha- that's literally happened in my life so many times looking back. It made sense later, and I was so glad that I did listen to the truth and follow it because I could see looking back where, yeah, that's where, why things went wrong, and I would have caused a lot of <laughs> suffering and pain to people I love. That it, for anyone listening, we're talking about, um, you know, if you want to read more about this, all these things, the teaching of the Catholic Church is in the catechism of the Catholic Church. And we're talking about part one, the profession of faith. Um, if you just look up, it's it's the section 75 through, what is it, through 100. 100. The beautiful thing, I mean, the, the catechism is such a useful document because if you have a question about what is it that Catholics believe, it's in there. Look it up. It's in there. And these sections talk about it, but th- the catechism always ties it to our life as well. I mean, the having living according to the deposit of faith, conforming your life to the dogmas that were revealed by Christ and guarded by the church down through time, it says um, in 89 of the Catechism, dogmas are lights along the path of faith. They illuminate it and make it secure. That means literally in your daily life, if you're, not, if you're struggling with a decision like we all do, we lay awake at night trying to figure things out, the church has these, these guidelines to follow to figure it out. If, you're, if, you're, if you understand what the church expects of you, what Christ revealed, how to be fully human, as you know, to go back to contraception, if you understand why, the marital embrace is the most important thing, that unity between man and woman, and that children should be born of love. Children children and mothers and fathers in marriage all go together. If you understand why that all fits together, when you're having a hard time, you have this vision out in front of you of where you're supposed to be going with this. And so it really helps in the daily life when you're making a decision that maybe if you didn't have that bigger vision, if you didn't have the lights on from the dogmas and see your way down the path a little bit, you would make a wrong decision in the moment based on what you wanted or what seemed easier. And it does help us make decisions like that. It's so much easier to make a decision about what the right thing is to do if you know where you're going with it all. And, you know, that, without getting into specifics, 
everybody out there suffers. Everybody has to deal with health issues, suffering from seeing a family member suffer, even discord between family members or friends. That hurts like I don't think people talk about that enough, how much it hurts when there's discord between two people, especially families. But when you're trying to figure out even, you know, like, what do I say back to that girl who said something mean to me today at school? I've helped my daughters with this before. You have to understand the goal here is to see that other person as a child of God, to always lead people to Christ in everything you do. And sometimes that doesn't mean laying down and letting people walk all over you, but it also means treating people with kindness and charity while still being confident and firm. There's so many books that can be written about this. Even sometimes I see books written in secular culture, and I think they've almost got it right. You know, if they just understood why they want to go in that direction of helping teens who are suffering from anxiety, or if if the author could see how this fits into the truth tethered to our Creator and our Redeemer, how it's all part of this one big story— the book would be so much better. You know, it's like it's like Christianizing modern culture. Um, you really do start to look at that. I, I call it thinking with the lights on because when you're following, when you're letting your thinking be illuminated by the dogmas of the faith, this heritage that's passed down to us by the magisterium of the church, you do think with clarity that you don't have otherwise. And it's a very powerful thing. It, 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 it helps you make good decisions, you know, that you don't hurt people. Yeah, I... As you're talking, it occurs to me that we really need to encourage people. What is the deposit of faith? Certainly we've said, who is the deposit of faith? That is Jesus Christ. How do we know Jesus Christ? Through Scripture and tradition. That's the the Catholic understanding, that Scripture. And if you look at the Catechism, I love to remind people, Catholic or not, that um, if you look at the Catechism, Every page is quoting scripture. So it's all woven together. Um, It's not either or, but it's both scripture and tradition giving us the fullest picture of Jesus Christ and the fullness that we need of knowing him so that he can guide us, you know, provide those guideposts Mm -hmm. uh, through our journey in life where we all face a lot of darkness. Yeah. Yeah. You just want to stand on the mountaintops and shout it. <laughs> the, um, the, the other thing, you know, just to go back to the catechism, because uh, I, I think it's important for people to know where to turn. So you say, okay, I want to follow what the church teaches. I want to accept the entire deposit of faith. I want to live my life conformed to God's will and what Christ revealed to us. How do I know? How do I find it? The catechism is a very good place to start, and and I love it's kind of like scientific papers that have references in the back, so you can dig into the research. But that's the catechism, as big as it is, it's just a place to start because each section has these references, and you can look those up. You can go to the section and where there's a little superscript number, look at what it's talking about. And I, it, I, re, I remember re, realizing this, and I was blown away. Everything in the Catechism is referenced to Scripture, and it's also referenced to other documents in the Church. So the, the Church has been guarding this deposit of faith since the Apostles, all the way down through time. And I, I did spend some time. I used to get lost doing this, and it, it, it's fascinating. Anybody who says, I want to know more about my faith, just find something in the Catechism that you're wondering about. One sentence, you could write essays about it. But look at look up one of those superscripts. Look 
at the end of the section in the catechism, and there will be another document. Sometimes the documents go back to the 1800s, sometimes they go back to the 1400s, sometimes they go all the way back to the early church fathers, and most of the time they go back to scripture. But there have been times when I've looked up another church document, and I get the church document, and I'm reading, I'm like, oh, that's where the catechism got that. But then the church document itself references an earlier church document. And you can literally trace it down all the way back to Scripture. So there's Scripture. It's all founded in the revelation, the things Christ told us. But then you can, on on anything, you can follow how the church has reasoned through it down through time. And when you do all of that, you're like, okay, I'm I'm going to live my life this way. I got it. This isn't something they just came up with flippantly and said, here, y'all have to do this. It's so carefully been guarded. And uh, that, that word harmony comes back to me because if you think about the New Testament, certainly, um, the four Gospels, the letters of Paul, the writings of the New Testament are primarily people who knew Jesus Christ or, in St. Paul's case, came to know his truth and embrace it with a very personal, supernatural encounter with Christ. And so, to me, that brings us back to the deposit of faith is about knowing a person and passing that on. Like you were saying, I mean, you talk about all those documents. Those documents were written by human beings. You go back to the Didache. The, those are early documents of people who actually knew Christ or knew someone that knew him. And just the way we operate in our lives you know when you actually know someone it makes a difference and then when you find out there's a connection with that person through another person it that's meaningful to us as human beings also so i think it's important to emphasize that the catechism is not some cold sterile dogmatic doctrine that just got downloaded from somewhere it's human beings encountering jesus and sharing what that encounter means through the ages. Yeah. Yeah, and it, you know, we, t- we have, everybody's just gotten their CCD classes and stuff started at different parishes. And I think parents kind of go through this process every year. Am I teaching my kids the faith enough? And then why do I need to teach? You know, when school gets started, there's so much going on. You come home, you eat dinner, the day is over. If you pray together, that's great. But then you think, oh, I need to be teaching them about the faith. The reason that we teach, like the St. Joseph Baltimore Catechism, the reason why people have to memorize the things that are in there is because the children need to know those things that they reason forth from when they get older. And it's been, you know, I think that it'd be a great book, you know, raising, I know there are a lot of books written about raising children in the faith, but specifically raising children to think critically by raising them in the faith. Because one thing you don't get from the catechism, from scripture, from any of these documents, they don't come to you where you are right there in that moment and say, Stacy, this is what you need to do about that car you're wanting to buy. You know, it doesn't it doesn't come to us like that. It doesn't lay it down and, and make us do things. It gives us the the connection to truth that we need to know to to make a good decision. Maybe I don't need that car. Maybe I need a safer car. Maybe I need a less fancy car. Maybe I need to think about how many cars we're gonna have to buy in the future. You know, it just it guides your decisions. But with kids, I've, I've seen it happen. The more they learn these things, 
the more they start to question. I mean, the child who's been raised in the faith, who has a connection to this deposit of faith, who goes to Mass every Sunday and day of Holy Day of Obligation and understands the real presence of Christ, those kids learn to think more critically. They learn to question everything they're doing in a way that I'd, I think kids who aren't raised in the faith ever learn how to do. They, they understand that God created them and God holds them in existence every moment and that the purpose of their life is to be saints and that all this other stuff is just us trying to journey together through the life. It, it makes a huge difference with raising children. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. So um, we're getting ready to wrap up this first episode of the podcast, the St. Philip Institute podcast. Um what we're going to do at the end of every episode, because we're getting started here, we want to make sure, like the whole point of having these podcasts and the whole point of the St. Philip Institute is to teach the Catholic faith. But it's not us teaching you the Catholic faith. That's part of it. But the bigger thing is um, for the, us, the Institute, Bishop Strickland, to help you be teachers yourselves, to help you teach the people around you, whoever it is. Um, so we really intend all of the things that we're talking about to fit with that. And, you know, even in the humorous parts of your life, when you're, you're laughing and having a good time, I thinking about communion and, and, uh, being made for relationship. I'm like, well, that's why we hug each other because we're trying to be in relationship. That's why we sit down and have dinner together. Um, so as you're enjoying your lives, remember to keep coming back to this. We want to do something at the end of every episode called into the chariot. Can you explain, Bishop Strickland, what that means, into the chariot, why we talk about that at the St. Philip Institute? Well, of course, it's a, a reference to St. Philip the Evangelist, and when he encounters the Ethiopian, he says, he sees him reading, I'm pretty sure it's the, the scroll of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, this Ethiopian sitting in his chariot reading Isaiah. And St. Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how can I unless somebody teaches me? And so St. Philip gets in the chariot and begins to help him understand how the prophet Isaiah is really speaking about God's plan to save his people through his son. So getting into the chariot is kind of getting it down to, you know, we don't use chariots, we get in cars, but... Right. Uh, <laughs> Getting it down to day-to-day -day life, people that we encounter, and and how we are dealing with that. W what this deposit of faith means to maybe one of our children, maybe our spouse, maybe a colleague that is really struggling with mm -hmm. something, and helping them to to kind of climb into their life and and just share some truth and share something of the deposit of faith that you think might be pertinent to whatever you're talking about with that person yeah yeah and the take home today is when you get into that chariot remember that you're sharing jesus christ you're you're bringing christ to the person you're listening to and be confident be caring be loving don't worry about how the other person might receive it just be there in the moment with the person sitting down and know that you are pray to god say give me the grace to do your will that you're bringing Jesus Christ to that person. That's what we're called to do. And there's really nothing more important in life. 
Introducing a friend to a friend. Yeah. (laughs) We are going to be doing more of these episodes at the St. Philip Institute. We're so honored to have Bishop Strickland here with us, so keep watching because you get to listen to him more. Um, We have a number of members. We have about 13 people in the Institute now, and we're focusing on different seasons of life. Seasons of life meaning um, everything from infancy to the initiation years to the discipleship years to living the journey in young adulthood um, and even into the season of maturity and the season of wisdom. Um, we're, We're talking about teaching the Catholic faith in all those seasons of life and we're pairing up at the St. Philip Institute So the bishop and I will be talking about some things and doing episodes, but we also have our um, Season of Infancy and Initiation Specialist, Mickey Seba, teaming up with Deanna Johnston, our Director of Family Life, to do episodes talking about um, how we teach the Catholic faith and journey through these years when we have small families. Um, And we also have Doug Berry, who's here in the diocese with us, and Father Justin Braun, who are going to team up to do an episode as well. And both of them work with young adults and teenagers, um, but then, they're, but they're also male, and they understand things a little differently than than Deanna and Mickey might understand things. So we're trying to bring um, different facets of all the seasons of life, but we're talking about the same thing about how to teach the Catholic faith. So I hope you'll keep tuning in. Um, Follow us on YouTube. There's information for you if you're watching on YouTube down below. And also visit our website. Um, It's stphilipinstitute.org. And you can find out more about the things that we're doing. The website's changing daily because we're putting new things up there. Um, But if you have a specific question that you would like us to answer on the podcast as we get going, we have an email address called podcast at stphilipinstitute.org. So you're welcome to email us at that um, email address and let us know what you think and let us know if you have any questions. We'll be happy to answer them. Thank you for joining us today. That concludes our first podcast and we will see you next time. And let me give you a blessing. The Lord be with you and may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.